There are so many religions in the world. How are they similar and how are they different? We need to know. The culturally correct view is to blend them all together as equally relevant and legitimate. But is that true? Prior to becoming a follower of Jesus, your host, Mike Shreve, was an avid seeker of truth, exploring many paths to spirituality. One of his passions now is to help bridge the gap so that others can discover the true light, which gives light to everyone entering the world. Now, here's Mike Shreve revealing the true light. The mystery of the book of life. This is going to be an interesting podcast episode. As far as I know, you only find this concept in Judaism and Christianity because it's drawn from a biblical base. Since God is omniscient, though, why would he need a book of life to log the names of those who will share eternal life? Because God is cognizant in any moment of the past, present, and future in all the details universally of what's going on. So why would there need to be a book? Is this just metaphorical? Is it a symbolic way of God communicating to human beings something that is not exactly the same in the celestial world? Or is it literal? That is a big question. But I do know that the book of life is referred to 16 times in the Old and New Testament. And so we're going to inspect all of those incidences in Scripture where the book of life is mentioned, and we're going to be able to draw quite a bit of revelation out of these various passages. First of all, I want you to see that the Bible itself could be referred to as a quote-unquote book of life because it tells you how to live successfully, and it also introduces spiritual life into you when you adhere to its principles. But there's another book of life that is like a registry in heaven of those who are sons and daughters of God by a covenant relationship with the creator of the universe. See, the Bible says in Philippians 3.20 that our citizenship is in heaven from which we eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. But if we are citizens of heaven, in a sense, we are on the log, the role of those who are considered citizens. Now, again, is this symbolic and metaphorical, or is it literal? Only God knows. Let's go to the first mention of this book in the Bible, and that's in a conversation that Moses is having with God. It's a very disappointing time because Moses just spent 40 days in the mountain with God. God wrote on tablets of stone the Ten Commandments that he had previously spoken with a thunderclap of power from Mount Sinai. And Moses is coming down the mountain with the tablets of stone and ready to share the other revelation with the children of Israel that God had given him. But when he gets to the base of Mount Sinai, the Israelites are dancing in a naked frenzy, an orgy of lust, around a golden calf that they are worshiping as a deity. And of course, Moses was enraged. He threw the tablets of stone down. He had certain people that were aligned with him who submitted to his authority 
tear the calf down, beat it into dust. He put that dust on the waters and made the children of Israel drink of it. And then he went back up into the mountain and talked to God because God had communicated to him that he was going to wipe out the entire nation and raise up another covenant nation from Moses's line. And this is how Moses responded to God. He said, oh, these people have committed a great sin and have made for themselves a God of gold. Yet now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, I pray, blot me out of the book which you have written. And the Lord said, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot him out of my book. So right from the beginning, we see several things. First of all, those who are in rebellion against God are removed from God's book. So the goal is not to get your name in the book. The goal of life is to make sure your name remains in the book and is not blotted out. So we can assume that possibly that means every living human being that ever comes into this world will have his or her name included in that book. And then if they walk contrary to the rules and laws of God, then their name is blotted out of the book. That's what that passage seems to convey. Now, there is a Jewish tradition that every year on the first day of the seventh month, which is the Jewish New Year, is called the Feast of Trumpets in English, but the Jewish or Hebrew name for it is Yom Teruah, and it's a time of shouting, a time of ecstatic praise to God. It's the beginning of a new year. It's the head of the year. It's Rosh Hashanah, and there is a traditional belief that on that day, God decides the fate of every Jewish person for the coming year and whether or not their name will be included in the book of life. And for the next 10 days, which are called the days of awe, the 10 days of awe before Yom Kippur, which is the day of atonement, they spend their time in prayer whenever possible, repenting of errors in the past year, confessions of guilt, declarations of commitment to God and commitment to his commandments, hoping that God will seal his verdict on Yom Kippur, the 10th day of the seventh month, and include them in the book of life for the coming year. And then it happens again and again every year. That is a Jewish tradition, but it does not have a biblical basis. There is no indication that it has to be renewed on a yearly basis, such as the Jews or some Jews believe. Now let's go to Psalm 69, verse 28. And in this verse, David is praying against his enemies, those who have fought against him, those who have tried to deceive him. And he said, let them be blotted out of the book of the living and not be written with the righteous. Now, the complete Jewish Bible says, erase them from the book of life. Because the word that is translated living in this passage, in most of your English versions of the Old Testament, is also translated life. For instance, when Genesis talks about the tree of life, it's the same Hebrew word. And so the book of the living is synonymous with the book of life. 
And David prayed that his enemies would be blotted out of that book who had fought against him. And by fighting against him, they were also fighting against the truth that he upheld. That psalm, though, is a messianic psalm because there are verses in that psalm that were prophecies of the Lord Jesus Christ to come. And that happened often in David's prophetic psalms, like Psalm 22. It's fulfilled or it's relevant on more than one level. It's relevant on the level of David and his life and his walk with God, but also it relates to something that's going to happen yet to come in the future in the life of the Messiah. For instance, in Psalm 69, verses 8 and 9, it says, I have become a stranger to my brothers and an alien to my mother's children because zeal for your house has eaten me up and the reproaches of those who reproached you have fallen on me. And that was indicated later on by one of the gospel writers as being a messianic prophecy that when he overturned the tables of the money changers outside the temple, that Jesus fulfilled this, that the zeal of God's house had eaten him up. And also in verse 21 and 22 of that same psalm, it says, they gave me gall for my meat, and in my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. Let their table become a snare before them, and that which should have been for their welfare, let it become a trap. Because the crucifixion of the Son of God should have been for their welfare if they had believed that it was for the redemption of humanity. The ministry, 33 and a half years long of Jesus living in this world, and of course the three and a half years when he was preaching the gospel, should have been for their welfare, but because they stood against it and because they rejected his claim to Messiahship, what should have been a benefit instead became a reproachful thing that they actually cried, crucify him. They gave me gall for my meat, and in my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. Well, on the cross, Jesus cried, I thirst, and they gave him vinegar, and this passage was fulfilled. And so Psalm 69 could be messianic all the way through, and if that be true, then verse 28 is the cry against not David's enemies, but the enemies of the Messiah. Let them be blotted out of the book of the living. However, how strange it is that when Jesus was on the cross, it's as if he canceled this or attempted to cancel this by crying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Yes, if justice was served, they would be blotted out of the book of life. But he cried out for mercy. And that's just the way he is. Let's go to one of the most beautiful psalms David ever wrote. And it includes a passage about the book of life. It's Psalm 139. I love this psalm. I claimed this psalm over and over again when we got a very negative report about my daughter when she was yet in the womb and we would claim that promise that she was fearfully and wonderfully made. And there are other verses in Psalm 139 that talk about the formation of a child in the womb. But listen to it from verse 14 through 16. I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you 
when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. And that's a curious way of referring to the womb of a woman when she's pregnant. My substance, my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. What an amazing thing the formation of a child is from a fertilized egg. And then verse 16 says, your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. And here the key part is, and in your book, they all were written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. And now we get a new insight into the book of life. Not only does it contain a registry of names, and I tend to believe it is dual in that respect, that there's a list of all that are living human beings in this world. Uh, There's also another list of those who are walking in covenant with God. And those who are chosen of God, in that book is the, the detailed information about the unveiling, the unfolding of their destiny for years and years to come until our time of departure from this world. Because it says in your book, they were all written the days fashioned for me. So the master artist of heaven has already predestined you to fulfill a certain purpose. And that plan is unfolding in his timing. And it's in his book. It's in his book. And all we have to do is cooperate with the plan because the steps of good men and good women are ordered by the Lord. Hallelujah. Next, let's go to Daniel. In chapter 12, verse 1, It's talking about the last days, and certainly we are approaching that into a time that Daniel talked about. He said, at that time, Michael shall stand up, that great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation, even to that time. At that time, your people shall be delivered, everyone who is found written in the book. So that leads me to believe that God will intervene supernaturally for his people, both the Jewish people and God's born-again, blood-washed believers worldwide. At that time, Michael, who apparently is commissioned by God to be especially involved in the preservation of the nation of Israel. Michael shall stand up, that great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people, Daniel said. I believe Michael the archangel also and all the angels that fight with him watch over the children of God. They watch over the born-again believers because the God who can keep a nation can keep a person. Read Psalm 121 because it says, The Lord is thy keeper. He who keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. He who keeps you will neither slumber nor sleep. He watches over you constantly. Now, how is God going to deliver his people in the last days when this time of trouble comes like has never happened in the world? Well, it could be a supernatural kind of preservation while we're here, and I tend to believe that will happen in major ways. But also, it could be a reference to the resurrection because the next verse says, many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake some to everlasting life and some to everlasting shame and contempt. But those who are wise will shine like the firmament 
and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and forever. One way or the other, we're going to be delivered. I believe God is going to move like he's never moved before. When the enemy does everything he can to bring destruction in the last days, God will not be taken by surprise, and God will certainly not be outdone. He will intervene with the greatest harvest that has ever taken place in this world. Now, there's another passage of Scripture in Isaiah's writings, verses 2 and 3, where the prophet Isaiah talks about the new covenant era to come. And he says, The branch of the Lord shall be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the earth shall be excellent and comely, or excellent and appealing for those of Israel who have escaped. And it shall come to pass that he who is left in Zion and remains in Jerusalem will be called holy, everyone who is recorded among the living in Jerusalem. And that's talking about not just those who are alive physically, but those who are alive spiritually. Because the Bible said we were dead in trespasses and sins, but we've been quickened together, which means to be made alive with Christ. And so when we receive the gift of everlasting life, divine life, resurrection life, comes inside of us. And that's when we are recorded among the living in Jerusalem. Jerusalem being a heavenly city that is the capital city of God's covenant people. All right, let's go to Malachi chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. I love this passage. It's just uh, got such a warm revelation attached to it. Then those who feared the Lord spoke often one to another, and the Lord listened and heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and those who meditate on his name or think upon his name. The King James says, They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in that day when I make them my jewels. And I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. So God talks about a book of remembrance. Is that book different than the book of life, or is it another way of referring to the book of life? I tend to believe the latter, that the book of life is the book of remembrance, because in it are recorded all the conversations we've ever had, all the thoughts, all the words we've ever spoken, all the actions that have ever been in our lives. Well, it's all recorded in God's book. And if we have a record of meditating on the Lord, prayerfully seeking his face, fearing the Lord, and, and the word fear means to be stricken with awe and wonder at his majesty, his omniscience, omnipotence, omnipresence. And when we see his greatness, we just melt in submission and worshipfulness toward him. That is the fear of the Lord. And for those who have that heart toward him, God said, I'm writing those individuals up in a book of remembrance, and they're going to be my jewels. Now, the jewels that people adorn themselves with in this world are usually forged in the heat of the magma that is down in the core of the earth. It's an intensely hot place that sometimes overflows in the form of volcanic eruptions, but that's where jewels are formed. And when the 
liquid magma flows up toward the surface of the earth, these jewels like rubies and sapphires that have been formed come to the surface. And that's all a picture of how we've gone through the fiery tribulations of this world, and we're being formed into God's jewels. And God's going to remember your passion toward him and how you've served him. Now let's jump into the New Testament. Jesus mentioned the book of life probably when he said to his disciples upon their return, he had sent them in two by two, and they were to preach the kingdom of God, cast out devils, and heal the sick. And they came back saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through your name, because he had told them, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing by any means shall harm you. But then he said, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. He even told them, I saw Satan himself fall like lightning to the earth. But still, that wasn't the thing that should cause the greatest joy to them, but rather that their names were recorded in heaven. And most likely he was talking about the book of life. Paul only mentioned that book one time, and that's in Philippians chapter 4, verse 3, where he talked about his fellow laborers who were helping him in the kingdom of God, and he said their names are in the book of life. So it was a way of expressing honor and appreciation and gratitude and recognition to those who were true saints of God. He said their names are in the book of life. Well, we can say that about one another if we have that testimony as well of being true yoke fellows with the Lord Jesus Christ and with others in the body of Christ. The next time you find the book of life mentioned is in the epistle to the Hebrews. No one knows for certain who wrote that book. I tend to believe Paul did. It's got a lot of wording that is very similar to wording in Pauline epistles. But in Hebrews chapter 12, he's comparing the old covenant to the new covenant by comparing Mount Sinai to Mount Zion. And he says to the people of the new covenant, the born-again believers, that you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, to the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven. Another version says, who are written in heaven. That has to be a reference to the book of life. So anyone in the book of life is a part of the church of the firstborn. That means the church in which every member is considered to be a firstborn son. There's no big eyes, no little U's. We're all equal in the sight of God. The ground is level at the cross. You are considered to be a firstborn son a privileged son, an honored son in the sight of heaven if you have a covenant relationship with God. Now, the rest of the mentions of the book of life that I'm going to bring out in the New Testament are all in the book of Revelation. And I'm going to go through them quickly. To begin with, Revelation 3, 5, to the church in Sardis, the resurrected Christ said, he who overcomes shall be clothed in white clothes or white raiment, And I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. 
So now you have the added feature that if your name is in the book of life, Jesus is going to proclaim that you are one of his in the audience of multitudes of angels, in the presence of the Father, and certainly in the presence of the rest of the body of Christ. One by one, he will single out his chosen ones and confess your name, if your name is found in the book of life. And he said, if you overcome, overcome what? This corrupt world, the lower nature, the satanic Uh, assault on your life, all the battles of the mind and the soul that you face. If you overcome these things, he said, I will not blot your name out of the book of life. Then in Revelation chapter 13, verse 8, it talks about the time of the Antichrist, the beast, the son of perdition. He's called the man of sin. Many names are given to him. And it says, all who dwell on the earth will worship him whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So one valuable aspect of being included in the book is sharpened discernment. If your name is in God's book, you will know deception when others are duped by it. You will not be oblivious to the deceiving tactics of the enemy. You will be absolutely sensitive to it. That's why we have received the spirit of truth into our lives and we have been begotten of the word of truth because Jesus said we would be led by the spirit and by the word into all truth. Thank God for that protection. And you will not be duped by the deceptions of the false prophet or the antichrist, but you will remain faithful, I pray, to the walk you have with the true and the living God. Then in Revelation chapter 17, verse 8, the writer said, The beast you saw was and is not. And again, it's a reference to the Antichrist. And he will ascend up out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition. And those who dwell on the earth will marvel. In other words, they will admire him whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. That brings out a totally different view of that book that your name was written in that book from the foundation of the world. Now, once again, does that mean an elect group of people that are predestined by God are the only ones whose names are in the book? Other verses make it sound like everyone's name is in the book, and if you do not serve God, your name is blotted out. Or could both be true? Again, I'd like to say, I believe both are true. There's a registry of all those who have ever lived and ever will live, physical human beings, soulless human beings, whether or not they walk with God. And there's a list of those who are the chosen ones who are elected by God for eternal life. Praise God. All right, then let's go to the final passages. These are found in the last three chapters of the book of Revelation. First, chapter 20, verses 11 through 15. This is where John saw the great white throne and him who sat on it from whose face the heaven and earth fled away and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God and the books were opened and another book was opened, which is the book of life. Now we see another possibility Maybe the books are all the individually kept books on each individual human being. 
Quite possibly the book of life is just the registry, but then each person has his or her own personal record or book of all the details of your life from the beginning to the end. And the thing about God is he tells the whole story. Oh, uh, don't recoil in fear as I mentioned that, but not only does he tell about David slaying Goliath, he talks about David with Bathsheba in the Bible. So you can be sure the book tells the whole story, but we're all in need of the mercy of God. And we're all in need of his grace. The sea gave up the dead which were in them. Death and hell gave up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, everyone according to their works. And then verse 15 says, After death and Hades, or death and hell, were cast into the lake of fire, which is the second death, anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So this is absolutely essential. And then verse 27 of that same of the next chapter, Revelation 21, verse 27 says, concerning New Jerusalem, the holy city, the capital city of a new creation, there shall by no means enter into it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those which are written in the Lamb's book of life. And finally, Revelation 22:19 says, if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, referring to the book of Revelation, God shall take away his part from the book of life and from the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. That's an overview of this mysterious object, this mysterious thing called the book of life. You should go back and read all of these passages, ponder prayerfully the meaning of these passages, and I believe you'll glean even more insights into what God was communicating. Thank you for joining Mike Shreve today on Revealing the True Light. And thank you for opening your mind and your heart to the truth. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss new episodes. You can explore the beliefs of many world religions more deeply by ordering Mike Shreve's book titled In Search of the True Light. We also invite you to visit our website, thetruelight.net, and sign up to be part of our global internet family.